Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, I hope everyone is doing well today. Uh, my name is my name is Thomas Scythe, and uh, it is so good to be here with you guys. Um, I actually was a student at Texas A&M. Uh, I graduated in 2012, and uh, actually way back, or not, I guess not way back then, after I graduated, I actually came and, and did the internship here and actually worked for Jacob. Uh, part of the, when he was back in the old youth days, he was a gunslinger back then. Uh, but now, now I, I went off to seminary and came back, and now I'm the, the youth director here. Uh, and so every Sunday morning, we have a youth service across uh, the way in the gym over there. Uh, and then we're also doing crazy youth stuff all throughout uh, the year. But it's funny because a lot of college kids are like, we have a youth program? Like, I had no idea. Uh, and yes, in College Station, there are families and there are kids in high school, uh, believe it or not. Uh, so anyways, uh, I am so glad to be here. Uh, and, and basically, uh, just to let you know a little bit about myself, I have been married for about two and a half years uh, to my beautiful wife, Emily. Uh, and uh, I have been at Grace now back here full-time for about 10 months. Uh, so I, I came back here last August uh, and have absolutely loved being a part of the ministry here. Uh, so uh, what I want to do to start off, I have a little story. Uh, I, I told you a little bit about, my, about myself. I actually studied mechanical engineering while I was at a and uh, So those of you who are engineers, I, I understand the pain uh, and the suffering and the persecution of being an engineer at a and uh, the late nights. And I remember one of my first classes that I ever had to take at a and was Math 151, a.k.a. Calculus. Uh, and I remember taking that class, and I don't know if you are like me or not, but I am like, I have to try hard in order to get a good grade. Uh, but I also, I have friends, I have buddies, and I met them in those classes where they did not have to try as hard as me. And there's an image burned into my mind that has made me bitter to this day. Uh, but I, I met my friend Tim one of the first days of class. He's, he's a good friend. And we came in, and we had our first calculus test and I remember I was like, I got to study. I'm reading the book. I'm going over old practice exams. And I'm like stressing out about it. I'm like, hey, Tim, come over. Let's study together. And he was like, okay, I will do that by playing Halo in the room you are trying to study in. Uh, and so he stayed up all night just playing video games the whole, the whole night. Like, I kid you not. And so he just played, he played Xbox. He was playing Call of Duty and games like Halo 2. And then I was like, okay, man, like, this is going to be bad for you. Like, this is going to end bad. And we, lo and behold, we come back the next morning. And I'm like, okay, I got this 8 a.m. test. I'm going to take the test. I don't know what's going to happen to Tim. I'm going to pray for him. I'll see him on the other side. So we go and we take the test. And we come out. And I'm like, Tim, how'd you do? And he's like, that was easy. That was great. That was no problem at all. And we get back our test grades. And not only did Tim pass the test, he got one of the highest grades in the class. And I said, I hate my life. Why am I here? And, uh, and, and I tell you that story because as I go through life, as I, as I took courses at A&M, as I saw different things, some things just come really naturally to some people. And, and maybe that's you and you're like, I'm just an artist and I can just embrace it and I can just see a picture and I can do it. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's, there's paint. I don't know what to do with that. Uh, and some of you are mathematically minded, and you, you just see numbers, and you join the math team. 
And others of us are like, I don't know why anyone would join the math team. Uh, and you guys just, things come naturally to you. Uh, and I tell you that story because in the, the scripture we'll be in today, so if you have a Bible, we'll be in Mark chapter 4. But in, in this passage, there's a tension that begins to build. Because Jesus is carrying out his ministry, right? He is, he is healing people. He is proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is teaching things. And people are looking at him and saying, this guy teaches with a new kind of authority. We haven't seen anything like that before. And you see this tension begin to build. And what is the tension? Not everyone is accepting his message. Right? If Jesus is who he says he is, right? If he is the Son of God, if he is the Christ, shouldn't everyone be believing him? Shouldn't everyone hear what he says and say, yes? I mean, if, if Jesus cannot convince people of the gospel, who can? And I want to read a passage to you. We're going to be studying in Mark 4, and I want you to go just a few verses before this, because we see a glimpse of how intense some of the rejection was. So, uh, the, on the previous page, Mark 3, starting in verse 21. It says, and when his family heard it, so Jesus is teaching, Jesus is saying different things. It says, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And I think I have the scriptures for you. There we go. Uh, it says, when his family heard it, they said, he is out of his mind. So his own family even began to say, Jesus, you're getting a little crazy with some of the things you are saying. But then keep reading with me. It says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. Um, and so you see this, you see, you see the uh, the, the, the opposition that Jesus is facing. Some people are hearing his message and they're just saying, no, it doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to me. I don't, I do not, I'm not, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't, I don't think you are who you say you are. And so the tension that I want to talk about today and, the, and kind of the subject is, is our reception of the gospel. What determines a person's receptivity to the gospel? Why are there so many different types of responses? Because all of us have been, maybe have been to camps or have been to rooms, uh, and even rooms like this, and maybe you haven't, but you've seen a message preached and some people receive it and they say, yes, I want to follow that. And other people say, I want nothing to do with that. And it was the same message, it seems. Why does that happen? And so there's a few things uh, I want to uh, go over today, and it's this. It says, uh, I want to say a, a correct reception of the word requires the spirit. It requires understanding. It requires devotion, and it leads to fruit. So a correct reception of the word requires the spirit, requires understanding, requires devotion, and leads to fruit. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to read our passage all the way through. This is Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And so read along with me. It says, And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, 
Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So what I want to do, if you would, let me just pray for us and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for your scripture. God, I thank you that you, you speak to us. God, that your word goes out. And I pray that this morning we would be a people of good soil, of receptive hearts. Help us just to understand what it means to know you and to love you today. And so, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to move today. We ask for understanding and that you would prompt us to full devotion to you so that we might bear fruit in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as, as I said, uh, kind of the outline I want to go over today, the correct reception of the word requires the spirit, requires understanding, requires devotion, and leads to fruit. Uh, and so you see, let's look at this first soil real quick. Because you see, Jesus tells this story of the parable of the sower. And there's a man, he's throwing out seeds along the path. And the seeds have different responses, different results. Some seed lands among the path and it, uh, it, is, it is burned up. It doesn't do anything. Other seed grows up very quickly, but in the end, it doesn't produce anything. And then other seed begins strong, but in the end, it gets choked out by its surroundings. And then the last one, it says it lands it plants deeply, and it grows and actually produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So what I want to do, read with me. I'm going to focus on these last uh, few verses, 13 through the end, and that's what we're going to be working through today. Uh, so read with me uh, again. There we go. 
Okay, so it says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. So this is the first soil. What is happening here in this soil? What is the issue? It says that that the soil is so hard that the seed has nowhere to go. But then it says something interesting. It says, and it is snatched up. In the parable, it says, it says like a bird or something comes and snatches it up. The sun destroys it. And Jesus says, do you know what that is? That's a picture of, he says, Satan himself immediately coming and taking away the word that is sown in them. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh my goodness. Like that is, that's a, that's a big deal if that is true. Because that means as the word goes out, even in this room, there is an attempt, there is spiritual warfare taking, a place, and taking place, and Satan is attempting to snatch the word from ever taking root. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to my childhood, and I was trying to think of a, a picture of this. Uh, and when I was in second grade, I remember I was sitting at my lunch table, and I had a 25-cent bag of Doritos, nacho cheese. They were delicious. And I, I would have that often at lunch. And then one day, a girl showed up at the table, and she had her lunch, but she didn't have any chips. I noticed that. And I said, okay, I can, I can help this situation here. And she had a $10 bill with her. And I said, I will give you my 25-cent bag of Doritos if you give me that $10 bill. And she took the deal. Uh, and I was like, as a seven-year-old, I was like, this is this is awesome. This, this is as good as it's going to get for a second grader. I am, I am king of the world. And I remember we made that trade, and I went home, and I was like kind of bragging about it. I was like, look at, look at, I got a $10 bill. Look at this. I've never had this much money in my life. And then I remember I got a phone call. The girl's mom said, hey, you need, we need that $10 back. She called my mom, and my mom sat me down and was like, you kind of ripped off this girl. This was not a fair trade. You need to give the $10 back. And I remember sitting there, and I was like, dang it, I did. And, and, and we all laugh at that. We, we say, that's an unfair trade. And I was thinking about what is happening in this first situation where the seed just lands on hard ground. We are trading something value because we've been hardened by something that we are holding onto. And so we are indifferent to the word. We are indifferent to what is taking place. And so just like the bad trade, we maybe are, the gospel is presented, we have this $10 bill, and we say, I don't need that. I, don't, I want nothing to do with that because I have this other thing. Uh, and so that's kind of this picture of what's taking place. Someone's snatching it. They're replacing it with something else. And we're saying, okay, I'm good. I am happy with my life the way it is. I hear the word, what you are saying, but I don't care. I am indifferent to that. And so the first point, like I said, reception of the word requires the spirit. And so I want to show you a couple other passages. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So you see, even when, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's saying it's not so much about eloquent words, but it is about the gospel moving in power among you. A matter of receiving the gospel is, is a matter of the Spirit. 
And another passage I love, it says in 1 Thessalonians, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So when the gospel goes out, and what I mean by that, I don't just mean the ABCs of VBS. I don't mean, you know, A, admit, B, believe, C, confess. I I mean when the truth of Scripture goes out, which can have many forms. It can just be where the truth of Scripture confronts your life. We are faced with a choice, and the Spirit is moving and working it to move in power in our lives. But Satan is on the other side saying, I'm trying to snatch that up. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, man, how would that change the way we approach Sundays, approached our gatherings with one another, if we really knew that that was taking place? If we knew that the reception of the gospel was a matter of the Spirit, that there's something more than just words being exchanged, but a spiritual battle taking place, would that change the way we pray, the way we think, the way we go before God? And I remember just... As, as I, just, I was working through this passage, I was just thinking, man, we got to keep praying. When we approach Sunday mornings, do we just get out of bed and come here, or are we anticipating something? Are we praying, asking God to move in our lives? And I think the way this plays out most often, I think a lot of us will, will pin things on, you know, maybe, okay, you know, the, the morning, this morning the, uh, the worship wasn't quite where it was supposed to be, or, okay, it was a little too hot in the room, or maybe the sermon wasn't put together as well as I would like, or I like that other guy better, or whatever it is, and we pin our, the reason that we're kind of dull on just things that are happening. But in reality, Satan is attempting to snatch the word. It's not the band, it's not the music, it's not man-made things. It is the Spirit. We receive the gospel because of the Spirit. And so we should take seriously that. And so what does this look like in our lives? I think it looks like, it can look like indifference towards the Scriptures. When we are just saying, I don't really care what the Scriptures say. It's indifference towards sharing the gospel with other people. And if we treated those moments and we said, And when I'm sensing that, it's not just about me needing to have a better Bible plan. It's about me going before the Lord and asking His Spirit to move. Man, what would that do to change the way that I approach my relationship with God? And so that's the first soil. You see, the first soil has this hardened ground. And the second thing, after that, the, the, the reception of the gospel requires a spirit, but a correct reception of the word also requires understanding. Read with me the the next section here. Starting in verse 16, it says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so what is the second soil? What is the problem here? The seed is actually able to go into the soil. It's it's able to be received in some way. Okay, that's a good idea. But then when it gets tough, they say, I'm out. I remember my freshman year of high school, I played football. Uh, And actually, let me rephrase that. For six weeks of my freshman year, I played football. I made it through part of the training camp, part of the two-a-days, and it was the week of our first game, and I was thinking to myself, do I really 
love this. And I remember I was just kind of like reflecting on what I had to do. And, and football, when I was heading into it, when I was getting ready for it as like an eighth grader, I was like, it's all about Heisman poses and like juking people on the field. And it's going to be so much fun. And I remember the first day our coach gets us, he says, I want you to stand over here. And I want another person to stand over here who's much bigger than you are. And I want you guys to run at each other and see who is left standing. And of course, I was a freshman. I was a small guy. I'm like a beanpole. I'm, I'm, I'm thin. Uh, and I got knocked down. And I think, I think it's, you know, they call it getting your bell rung. And I remember like getting hit. And I was like, I see white. I don't know what this is. And I got hit. And I was like, I don't think I like football. <laughs> and then I remember going to sit in on my, uh, you know, with my coach. And I was telling him, I was like, I think I'm going to quit the team. He's like, but you've climbed so far. You've made it first string B team. And I was like, yeah, I want to do better than life than that. And I, I remember telling him that day, I was like, I'm going to go play golf. I, I'm going to go play a sport that matches my stature. Um, and, and so that day I quit football. And I said, I don't want anything to do with this. Because I remember thinking, man, this sport is all about glory and touchdowns and, and, and just pushing people over. Uh, and, and really it was just about me getting beat up, and I did not like it, and I was not built for it. And I think that's kind of symptomatic of what is happening in this, this situation. The, the situation that Jesus is describing is someone who hears the word a little bit, and they say, okay, I, I kind of like this. I like some of the perks. I like the community. I like having something to do on the weekends. I like this Jesus thing, I guess. But there's no real understanding of what is taking place. And what do you mean by that? I want you to read this passage with me. This is John chapter 6. Uh, and, and I have two verses here. In John chapter 6, verse 60, uh, you see this, this, this situation take place. Jesus is trying to explain who he is to his disciples and to the people who have been following him. And this is more than just the 12 disciples. This is large, larger crowds. And he says something that shocks everyone. He says, if you want to have eternal life, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are looking at Jesus like, that guy is insane. And that's why in verse 60 here, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Another way of saying it is, that sounds really weird, Jesus. Are you sure you meant what you said? Uh, and you see Jesus says, no. What I mean is, I need you to rely on my death and resurrection like you would rely on food. I want you to eat of my body in that way. I want you to fully rely on who I am and who I say I am. And people had a tough time saying, Jesus, I just don't know. And in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Uh, in the year 300, I love history, 300 AD, there was a massive persecution of Christians. Uh, and just so I get the name right, Emperor Diocletian, uh, he asked that all of the Christian scriptures in the area be destroyed. Uh, and this is, this is before Christianity was legalized. That happened a little bit later. But people were persecuted and people said, okay, I give up. I don't want to follow Christ anymore. And you, so you see the symptom here, that the soil that receives the word for a short time, but there's no depth of understanding. And so when persecution comes, they fall away. They give up. 
And I remember, uh, I remember some of the first times I faced persecution. I became a believer when I was in college uh, through the faithful ministry of my roommate, plus uh, other ministries like Breakaway and Passion and other things like that. And I remember, uh, in trying, I was like, okay, I'm going to invite my friends to Breakaway. I'm going to see what happens. Let's just see how this goes. And I remember inviting my friend. He was a mechanical engineer with me. Uh, and I was, it was after class. I said, hey, would you like to go to Breakaway with me? It's a, it's a big Bible study. You should come. And I remember he didn't even say anything to me. He just looked at me, and then he turned around and walked the other way. And he said, I, want, I just want nothing to do with that. And I was like, persecution hurts. <laughs> this is hard. Like, we were used to be friends. This is much different. And I, I heard a story this past week. Uh, I was helping out at SOS Ministries, and some of you guys maybe even volunteer there. But it's an it's a outreach ministry in Bryan. works a lot with kids and just getting kids off the streets and into uh, programs that are helpful for them. And one of the ladies who helped found the ministry was just telling her story of when she first started helping these kids, persecution came. She says people would vandalize her car in the parking lot uh, as she was trying to teach these kids Bible studies. And essentially their way of saying, we don't want you to be here anymore. And so suffering has a way of putting us at a crossroads, and the only way we're able to sustain through that is if we have correct understanding. And to give you a picture uh, of suffering, because suffering can, can be devastating or it can be glorious in our walk with the Lord. And I picture suffering, if you imagine like fire. Uh, I have a fire pit in my backyard. It's a big fire pit, and I put wood in there, and you light it on fire, and it is, you roast marshmallows. It's great. And, but what happens to the wood? It burns up, and it's just left there as ashes. It's no longer good for anything, just to be tossed out or, or whatever. But if you take the same fire and, and scorch it up to 3,000 degrees, and you add sand and other raw materials like that, you get You get glass. And so if you superheat raw materials like that, it's the same fire, it's the same suffering, but there is something that takes place that hardens it and makes it into something even better than it was before. And so that's why in Romans 5, Paul can write, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, uh, who has been given to us. And I say this as kind of an aside, but suffering has the potential to either help us or hurt us. Suffering will come. What will we do when we face suffering? And as I work with uh, high schoolers and junior high kids, most of them are not facing physical persecution, although some do. Uh, you'd be surprised. A lot of them are just facing, facing social awkwardness, facing pressures. Man, it just feels weird. I, I know I should do the right thing, but I know a lot of people are just going to be weird around me when I speak up. And I think that's probably where a lot of you guys might be too. How are you handling suffering? Is it causing you to wither? Is it causing you to strengthen and to set your mind on the hope that you have? Because that will reveal something about your understanding the roots that you have. And so moving on to the next one. A correct, a correct reception of the word requires devotion. And so read with me the next section, verse 18 through 19. It says, And the others 
are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Um, I, I remember when I was, I guess I was a sophomore in college, and I remember thinking about, uh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the end of the semester, and some of you guys have Aggie Bucks or other things like that, and Aggie Bucks, at least when I was there, did not roll over to the next semester. So I would have like 500 Aggie Bucks, and I used $30 of them, and so I'd be like, I have $470 left, and I have to spend it the week of finals. And I was like, how can I use my Aggie Bucks to bless people or to make my life better? And I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw a party with all the things I've purchased from the C store, from the convenience store at Rattlers. And so some of my friends, we would go on campus and we would just like basically raid, but we'd purchase everything. We would raid, be like, we want all of your personal pizzas and we want all of the the Dr. Peppers that you can handle. And we also want these donuts because that's who we are. And so we would just collect all this food and we just stuff it into our fridge you know, put it in our cupboards. And I remember we would just say, okay, let's invite people over. And they were like, how can we take this to the next level? And I lived with a lot of guys. And so we said, let's get all of our TVs that were in our rooms or at other people's houses. Let's bring them all to the living room. And what we're going to do is hook up all of the Xbox 360s that we have together. And so back when I was in college, we played hours and hours of Nazi zombies. We were like, yes, this is the, this is the way. Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. That sounds weird and cultish, and it kind of was. But we would play video games, and then we would take another TV, and we would say, let's put the NBA playoffs on one screen. So now we're sitting there with personal pizzas. We're sitting there with our drinks, and then we have two TVs playing video games, and then we have the NBA playoffs going on. And I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> this is how finals was meant to be handled, completely. And we invite people over to enjoy the, 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 our good fortune. <laughs> we invite them into the kingdom. And, uh, and when we were there, I, I remember thinking, I, I was a new believer at the time, and I remember walking out of that week and thinking to myself, man, I, my, my spirit just feels dry. And I think as I reflected upon that, I had so much uh, entertainment and things coming at me that it became impossible for me to fix my eyes on the only thing that mattered. I had all the food I wanted. I had all the drinks that I could bear. I had all the people that I knew in one room. And I had basketball and Nazi zombies. And I was like, my spirit is actually shriveling because of how much entertainment I am consuming And I say that, and it's funny, but it makes me think that is how some of us actually live our lives. Maybe not to that extreme, but we are so distracted by all of the things that we are placing in front of us that we cannot fix our eyes on the one thing that God has asked us to, being Jesus. And so read with me in 1 Peter 1.13. It says, Therefore, this is the call that is given to us. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In another place, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I wonder how many of us are like the third soil. Because I think this one, if we're honest, is the most common We have so many things distracting us from what 
matters. And maybe it's just a relationship and all of our time goes to this one person and we say, okay, I just got to make them happy. I got to spend time with them. I got to make sure that I'm dating them the right way. Uh, And all of our affections go there and we're distracted from the main thing. Or maybe all of our devotion is just, okay, I am here for one reason. It's called College Station because there's a university here and I'm here to get a good education. And so nothing else matters other than me getting the A in this class. And we're so consumed with that that it's choking out our ability to know who God is. And I know, I know for me, my temptation is probably mostly media. Something that is not an evil thing, but something that can consume our lives. I, I, for the fun of it, I looked up some different statistics of just how much media that we consume. And it says this. This is from the New York Times. How much do we love TV is the name of the article. It said the average adult in 2015 watches about five hours of television per day. And I was like, that seems really high, but I, think, I guess it's higher for adults. Uh, but it says the average adult spends about an hour and a half consuming media on their phone and another 30 minutes on their tablet. And I'm like, this is starting to add up. And then Time Magazine released another article called This Is How Much Netflix We're All Watching Every Day. And I was like, I wonder what that article's about. Um, and it, it says... Uh, subscribers spent 568 hours per year watching Netflix in 2015, which averages 11 hours of Netflix a week, which I think is probably more where we are. We were like, I don't have cable because I'm cheap. I like the $9 Netflix subscription. But I think about that, I'm like, we are consuming so much media. And then this is the most sobering stat. It says the average person, if you start adding all this up, consumes anywhere from around 10 hours of media per day. And I'm thinking, man, that is something that chokes out our ability to connect with God. And so the soil receives the seed and it's growing strong, but there's other things there competing with our affections, drifting us away, making us, we're just saying, I, I must finish season 13 of Grey's Anatomy instead of, fix my eyes on Christ, um, or I need to watch terrible 90s sitcoms. You know, we, we have pulled ourselves away and are distracting ourselves. Uh, and many call media just the, like, the, the most common narcotic. It's the way we numb ourselves and distract ourselves from what's actually going on. And so I don't know if that's you. I, I know that is my temptation is to be consumed with media. How much time? Where is your time? Where is your energy going? What are the things that your mind drifts to when you have nothing going on, when you have a free evening? And again, these things aren't bad things. These things aren't wicked things. But are they choking out what we were meant to fix our eyes on? And so the last thing I want to talk to you about is this fourth soil. This is the last verse. It says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And again, I think this parable most commonly gets used to describe someone's salvation experience, and I think rightfully so. They say, okay, the first three soils are this improper response. Uh, Some appear better than others, uh, but but, but at the end, they're not really genuine responses to the gospel, and you need to be the, the fourth 
seed. You need to be the fourth soil. And I think that's true, but it expands outside of that. I think this also has truth to bear in on the believer's life as well. I think whenever we are presented with the truth of Scripture, not just the salvation invitation, but when we are presented, man, turn away from this sin, this this temptation. When we're at that crossroads, we can have these different varying responses. And so even if you would say you are a believer today, you can still experience some of these symptoms, the hardness of heart, the lack of devotion and the lack of understanding and ability to persevere. But for, in Mark 4.20, this last seed gives us hope. It says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. And this is not, this is not meant to be something that is unachievable or, I mean, this is, this is perfection. This is supposed to be practical. It's saying the person who works hard to cultivate these things, to make room, not just to discipline themselves, but to get quiet, to, to devote themselves, to, to hone in and say, okay, I'm going to ask God to move. This is the result. They produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And so often in our churches, we have these lofty goals of what we want to be as a community. And we think we can get there by, okay, I'm just going to, I need to be funny. I need to be attractive. I need to be the person in the room that everyone looks towards. And really what God is asking of us is not to be those things, but to be faithful to what he's called. And as we produce fruit as a community, we will be what we were created to be. And so I want to end with this. And which one of these soils describes you right now? Maybe you are an unbeliever and you say, I, I have never, I don't know what all this is about. And the gospel invitation is there. Man, if I had a single prayer for today, it's that those who do not understand the gospel would come to believe in it for the first time. That Jesus is who he says he was, that he went to the grave on our behalf so that our sins might be forgiven and we would be reconciled to God. It's not ourselves, but it is God's mercy that brings us back to him. But maybe you're one of these other seeds and you would say, I am a believer, but I see that there's things that are choking out my affections for God, or I am divided on my devotion, or I lack understanding of the gospel. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you are. Or maybe... You just need to rely on the Spirit more, and you need to take more seriously prayer and asking God to move in spaces like this and in your own heart. And so what I want to do, I'm going to invite the pan back up, and I want us to just take some time, uh, as we're singing through this last song, really just to, to, to sit where you are, you can stand, but just pray to God, talk to God about, I mean, where am I? God, move in my heart in such a way. God, give me a love for people. Help me to be a fruitful person. Because at the end of the day, the kind of response that we need or that God calls us to requires the Spirit, requires an understanding, a crystal clear understanding of the gospel. It requires devotion, and it leads to fruitfulness. And so just take time where you are, pray, and I'm going to hand it over to the band. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you so much for 
your mercy on us, your grace on us. God, your word goes out. And the very fact that we're in the room right now means that the word is going out from here. And it's being presented to people. And I pray, Lord, for good soil. I pray that we'd receive it. I pray that we'd produce fruit. And we'd be healthy as we grow. Lord, I thank you that the call to produce fruit is not some unachievable standard. And there's even varying amounts of fruit that are listed here. We all produce fruit differently and in different amounts and different ways and different times. But God, you've just called us to produce fruit. You've called us to be a fruitful people. And so, Lord, that all begins by relying on the gospel. And I pray that we would do that today. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.